Guideline Implementation, Transmission-Based Precautions, by Terry Link. Abstract. Transmission of an infectious agent requires a source of infection, a mode of transmission, and a vulnerable host. The most important interventions for preventing infection transmission are hand hygiene and the use of standard precautions for all patients. Other precautions are based on how an organism is transmitted. These include contact, airborne, and droplet precautions. The cornerstone of transmission-based precautions is appropriate use of personal protective equipment to protect personnel and patients from infection. This article discusses key takeaways from the AORN Guideline for Transmission-Based Precautions, including using standard precautions, wearing personal protective equipment when exposure to blood, body fluids, or other potentially infectious materials is anticipated, and using contact precautions during care of patients known or suspected to be infected or colonized with pathogens transmitted by direct or indirect contact. Perioperative RN should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. Surgical site infections, SSIs, are among the most common types of healthcare-associated infections, reported to affect as many as 2 to 5% of patients undergoing inpatient surgery and between 0 to 3.2% of patients undergoing outpatient surgery. Researchers have reported that antimicrobial resistance significantly contributes to SSIs and that between 38.7% and 50.9% of microorganisms cultured from SSI wounds are resistant to standard antibiotics. Microorganisms that are resistant to one or more antimicrobial agents are called multidrug-resistant organisms, MDROs. These include methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, MRSA, vancomycin-resistant Enterococci, and carbapenem-resistant Enterobacteriaceae. Transmission of infection requires a source of infection, a mode of transmission, and a vulnerable host. Because healthcare personnel do not know which patients may be infected or colonized, use of standard precautions for all patients is an important intervention to prevent transmission of infectious organisms. Standard precautions protect healthcare personnel and patients from infection by preventing the direct or indirect spread of microorganisms, for example, person-to-person, person-to-environment, environment-to-person. The need for additional precautions is based on how an infectious organism can be transmitted and include contact precautions, droplet precautions, and airborne precautions. Direct contact of an infectious person with another person or indirect contact with an intermediary object, for example, a countertop or a healthcare worker's hand, are the most common modes of MDRO transmission. Contact precautions help prevent transmission of MDROs and other significant organisms, for example, MRSA, Clostridioides difficile. In an OR, multiple surgical procedures may occur in a short period of time, allowing multiple opportunities for direct or indirect transmission of pathogenic organisms if a room is not properly cleaned. Transport of patients through a facility also provides opportunities for transmission. For example, healthcare personnel can contaminate elevator controls or door handles, and if not cleaned, 
the services provide an indirect source for other patients, visitors, or healthcare workers to encounter infectious organisms, become infected, or transmit infection to another person or surface. Healthcare personnel use droplet precautions when caring for patients who are known or suspected to be infected with pathogens transmitted by respiratory droplets, for example, influenza, that are generated by coughing, sneezing, or talking. Droplet precautions include use of personal protective equipment, PPE, for example, a surgical mask, and placing a mask on the patient during transport. Healthcare personnel use airborne precautions when caring for patients who are known or suspected to be infected with pathogens that are transmitted by the airborne route, such as mycobacterium tuberculosis. Airborne precautions include wearing PPE, for example, respiratory protection, placing a mask on the patient during transport, using environmental controls, such as placing the patient in an airborne infection isolation room, and using administrative controls, such as implementing a respiratory protection program for personnel that can require fit testing and certification to use an N95 respirator or availability of powered air purifying respirators, PAPRs. In December 2018, AORN published the updated Guideline for Transmission-Based Precautions, previously titled The Guideline for Prevention of Transmissible Infections. Topics discussed in the Transmission-Based Precautions Guideline include use of standard precautions during care of all patients, wearing PPE when exposure to blood, body fluids, or other potentially infectious materials is anticipated, and use of contact, droplet, and airborne precautions for patients who are known or suspected to be infected with pathogens transmitted in these ways. This document also includes guidance on adhering to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, restrictions for personnel with infections, exudative lesions, and non-intact skin that pose a risk for infection transmission, and immunization against vaccine-preventable disease. AORN guidelines apply to inpatient and ambulatory settings and are adaptable to all areas where operative and other invasive procedures may be performed. This article elaborates on key takeaways from the Transmission-Based Precautions Guideline, but is not inclusive of the entire guideline. Perioperative RN should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. Key takeaways from the AORN, Guideline for Transmission-Based Precautions, include the following. Perioperative personnel should 1. Use standard precautions when caring for all patients. 2. Wear PPE when exposure to blood, body fluids, or other potentially infectious materials is anticipated. And 3. Use contact precautions when providing care to patients who are known or suspected to be infected or colonized with pathogens that are transmitted by direct or indirect contact. See Figure 1. The following scenario discusses the care of a surgical patient with a transmissible infection. Each takeaway is discussed in detail after the scenario. Scenario Nurse B arrives at an academic medical center for her scheduled shift in the OR suite. After changing into a scrub suit, she enters the semi-restricted area just outside the control desk for the morning huddle. As Nurse B reviews the work board for her assignments, she notices one of her patients, 
patient D, is flagged on the schedule as having MRSA and MDRO and is on contact precautions. Patient D's procedure, an incision and drainage of an infected leg wound, is scheduled as the last procedure of the day to be completed in OR9. After leaving the huddle, Nurse B enters OR9 where the surgical technologist, ST, and the anesthesia professional are already preparing for the day's procedures. Nurse B informs them that the last patient of the day is flagged in the medical record as having MRSA and requires contact precautions. Later in the day, Nurse B receives a call from the preoperative nurse that patient D is being admitted. Nurse B reviews patient D's chart for his medical history and decides to consult with the infection preventionist assigned to perioperative services to find out whether patient D is a candidate for cultures to confirm the wound is still infected with MRSA. After reviewing the patient's medical record, the infection preventionist replies that cultures were performed in the surgeon's office several days ago, and the wound is still draining and infected with MRSA. She confirms that, according to hospital policy, patient D will need to remain on contact precautions for the duration of his hospital stay. In collaboration with the surgeon, anesthesia professional, and ST, Nurse B prepares for contact precautions in OR9. She obtains an isolation cart that is kept in the supply room, and she checks the cart's contents to ensure it is stocked with the required supplies. The cart contains isolation gowns, non-sterile gloves, and contact isolation signs. She posts signs that indicate the type of isolation and PPE required, that is, gowns and gloves, on both OR doors. Nurse B and the ST contact the charge nurse to request additional time for OR preparation. They remove all unnecessary equipment from the OR and move supplies that are not immediately needed outside the OR where they will be readily available. Nurse B notifies the Environmental Services, EVS, personnel who complete between procedure cleaning and terminal cleaning at the end of the day that the next patient in OR9 requires contact precautions and the patient transport cart will need to receive enhanced cleaning immediately after the patient is transferred to the OR bed. Nurse B decides to have the OR transport cart cleaned with an Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, registered disinfectant and placed outside the OR so it does not become contaminated when the pulse lavage is used to irrigate the wound. The anesthesia technician removes most of the items from the top of the anesthesia cart and leaves only the intubation supplies, endotracheal tubes, and medications that the anesthesia professional anticipates they will need. He informs the anesthesia professional that any unused supplies remaining on the outside of the cart will be considered exposed and contaminated and will be discarded after the procedure, rather than being placed back in the anesthesia cart. Nurse B encourages the anesthesia professional to double-glove during intubation and remove the contaminated outer glove after airway intubation. She reminds the anesthesia technician that he will need to clean all surfaces of the anesthesia machine, including the drawer handles, switches, and knobs, after the procedure. Nurse B proceeds to the preoperative area to interview patient D. She performs hand hygiene and dons an isolation gown and gloves before entering the room to interview and assess the patient. She determines the wound is draining and ensures the wound is covered for transport. 
While she is interviewing the patient, the anesthesia professional arrives, and after performing hand hygiene, dons a gown and gloves before entering the room. In preparation for transport, Nurse B places a clean sheet over patient D, and both Nurse B and the anesthesia professional remove their gowns and gloves by grasping the front of the gown with the gloved hands and pulling it out and away from the body, breaking the tie of the neck. They each roll the disposable isolation gown into a bundle away from the body while peeling the gloves off without touching the outside of the gown with their bare hands. They discard the gowns and gloves in the trash receptacle and perform hand hygiene. Nurse B dons a clean pair of gloves and cleans and disinfects the head and footboards and side rails of the transport cart with an EPA-registered disinfectant. Nurse B then removes her gloves and performs hand hygiene, and the anesthesia professional dons a clean pair of gloves for transport. Nurse B assists the anesthesia professional in transporting the patient to the OR by opening the doors. Nurse B and the anesthesia professional leave the single-use blood pressure cuff and pulse oximeter sensor in place when transporting the patient to the OR. Before patient D self-transfers to the OR bed, Nurse B and the anesthesia professional each don an isolation gown and gloves. Nurse B secures the patient's safety belt before she moves the transport cart to the periphery of the room and assists the anesthesia professional with induction and intubation. Before contact with the patient, the anesthesia professional dons an additional pair of non-sterile gloves. After intubation, he removes his outer gloves before using tape to secure the tube. He then removes the remaining pair of gloves in two steps. First, he grasps the palm area of a gloved hand with the other gloved hand, peels the glove away from his hand, allows the glove to turn inside out, and holds the removed glove in his gloved hand. Then, using the ungloved hand, he slides a finger under the glove cuff and peels it off his hand and then discards both gloves. He performs hand hygiene and dons a new pair of gloves. Patient D remains in the supine position, and Nurse B positions his right leg in a leg holder for the surgical skin antisepsis. She then removes her isolation gown and gloves, discards them in the trash receptacle in the OR, and performs hand hygiene. She dons a clean gown, opens the surgical prep kit, dons the sterile gloves, and completes the surgical prep. Nurse B removes her gloves, performs hand hygiene, and dons a clean pair of gloves. She then calls the EVS personnel to meet her at the door of the OR to receive the transport cart. Two EVS personnel respond and don isolation gowns and gloves outside OR9. Nurse B uses the automatic door push plate to allow them to enter the OR. They retrieve the cart and Nurse B activates the OR door to allow them to exit and then cleans and disinfects the door plate. The EVS personnel clean the cart and park it outside the OR at the direction of Nurse B. The EVS personnel then remove their gowns and gloves using the correct technique and perform hand hygiene. Because the surgical procedure involves deep debridement and irrigation with a pulse lavage irrigation system, all team members require eye protection. Before beginning the procedure, scrubbed surgical team members don a helmet system and double glove with a perforation indicator system. Nurse B and the anesthesia professional each don a face shield and a non-sterile reinforced surgical gown to protect them from pulse lavage irrigation splashes. 
all team members donned boot covers to protect their shoes and other surgical attire. After the procedure begins, the surgeon uses a nozzle shield during irrigation and directs the flow to avoid unnecessary splashing. After the surgeon completes the irrigation, Nurse B removes her gown and gloves in the same manner as she previously doffed the isolation gown and gloves. She also removes the face shield, which is splattered with blood and irrigation fluid. After performing hand hygiene, she exits the OR and removes her mask by touching only the ties rather than the front of the mask. She discards the mask in a waste receptacle, performs hand hygiene, and dons a clean face shield and mask before bringing the anesthesia professional a clean face shield and mask. The anesthesia professional also removes his soiled face shield and mask, performs hand hygiene, and then dons the clean face shield and mask. When the procedure is completed, Nurse B calls the post-anesthesia care unit, PACU, to inform the PACU nurse that the patient is on contact precautions. The anesthesia professional remains gowned and gloved and transfers patient D to a PACU isolation room. Nurse B accompanies him and opens doors during the transport. The gowned and gloved PACU nurse receives patient D, and Nurse B completes the patient handover before returning to OR9, where the EVS team members are performing enhanced cleaning. Nurse B reminds them to clean the walls because they may have been splashed with pulse lavage liquid. The EVS team members and anesthesia technician wear isolation gowns, gloves, and goggles while cleaning and disinfecting the OR and anesthesia equipment. After completing the cleaning activities, the EVS personnel and anesthesia technician remove their gowns and gloves without touching the outside of their gowns with their hands or allowing contaminated PPE to come in contact with their surgical scrubs. They immediately dispose of the gowns and gloves in the waste receptacle and perform hand hygiene. They remove the contact isolation signs posted on the OR9 doors before beginning subsequent tasks. After the patient's uneventful post-anesthesia recovery, the PACU nurse phones the surgical floor nurse to complete the patient handover and informs him of patient D's contact isolation status. The PACU nurse arranges for transport and then covers the patient with a clean sheet, removes her isolation gown and gloves, performs hand hygiene, dons a pair of gloves, and cleans and disinfects the transport cart. She places an isolation gown and gloves on the clean sheet for the transport personnel to use if they need to contact the patient directly during the transport. She then removes her gloves and performs hand hygiene. The PACU nurse accompanies the transport team members and opens doors during the transport, secures the elevator, and pushes the button for the floor to which the patient is being taken. When the PACU nurse arrives at patient D's room, the floor nurse is in the private patient room wearing an isolation gown and gloves. A sign on the door to the patient's room indicates contact precautions are in effect, and a contact isolation supply card is positioned in the hallway near the room door. The transport team members perform hand hygiene and don gowns and gloves to assist with the patient transfer. After the transfer is completed, the transport team cleans and disinfects the cart and then remove their gowns and gloves and perform hand hygiene. When patient D's wife and daughter arrive, the floor nurse greets them and asks them to perform hand hygiene and don a gown and gloves before entering the patient's room. Nurse B notices the daughter is coughing and asks if she is ill. Her mother replies that she is recovering from a cold and her cough has lingered. 
Nurse B provides a mask for the daughter to wear and instructs her to wear the mask when she is in the facility and remain at least three feet away from her father and any other patients. Nurse B also instructs the daughter and her mother on using cough etiquette. That is, coughing into a sleeve or a tissue and performing hand hygiene after disposing of the tissue. Key Takeaways Discussion The key takeaways from the AORN, Guideline for Transmission-Based Precautions, do not cover the entire guideline. Rather, they help the reader focus on important or new information that should be implemented into perioperative practice. Standard Precautions Standard precautions protect perioperative personnel and prevent transmission of pathogens to patients. Components of standard precautions include 1. Providing a clean, safe environment. 2. Wearing PPE whenever the possibility exists for exposure to blood, body fluids, or other potentially infectious materials. 3. Using mouthpieces, resuscitation bags, or other ventilation devices during resuscitation. 4. Practicing respiratory hygiene and cough etiquette and educating perioperative personnel, patients, and visitors on this practice. 5. Separating patients with respiratory symptoms from others as soon as possible after arrival. 6. Screening visitors who exhibit signs or symptoms of a communicable infection and limiting patient visitation. 7. Using safe injection practices. And 8. Cleaning and disinfecting medical equipment. Hand hygiene is an essential component of standard precautions and the most effective way to prevent disease transmission in healthcare settings. Personnel should perform hand hygiene 1. After touching blood, fluids, secretions, and excretions. 2. After touching contaminated items. 3. Immediately after removing gloves. And 4. Between patient contacts. There were multiple examples in this scenario of hand hygiene performed in conjunction with the donning and doffing of PPE for contact precautions. In addition, to avoid transmission from contaminated surfaces or hands, personnel removed equipment and supplies that would not be used from the OR. The anesthesia professional wore two pairs of gloves, removed the outer pair at a critical time, and then after the patient was intubated and airway secured, removed the remaining pair of gloves, performed hand hygiene, and donned a pair of clean gloves. Nurses support another important component of standard precautions when they educate visitors and personnel and assess visitors for communicable diseases. In this scenario, Nurse B observed that the daughter was coughing and instructed the daughter and her mother on cough etiquette and, as an extra precaution, provided guidance on a safe distance to keep from the patient. Nurse B collaborated with EVS personnel and anesthesia technicians on the need for enhanced cleaning and use of PPE to ensure that future patients undergoing procedures in this room would not be exposed to infectious agents from the patient with the MDRO. Personal Protective Equipment Regulatory agencies require healthcare personnel to wear PPE, such as gloves and gowns, when contact of the arms or clothing with blood, body fluids, or other potentially infectious materials is anticipated. Donning and doffing of PPE is an important component of transmission-based precautions, and personnel who doff PPE incorrectly 
could become infected as a result. Hand hygiene should be performed before gloves are donned, and gloves must be removed before hand hygiene is performed. Glove use does not replace the need for hand hygiene. Gloves may be removed in the following manner to avoid contaminating the hands during removal. 1. With a gloved hand, grasp the palm area of the other glove, peel the glove away from the hand, allowing the glove to turn inside out, and hold the removed glove in the gloved hand. 2. With the ungloved hand, slide a finger under the glove cuff and remove the second glove by peeling it off the hand. And 3. Discard the removed gloves into a waste receptacle and perform hand hygiene. A gown and gloves used for PPE should be removed in the following order. 1. Grasp the front of the gown with gloved hands. 2. Pull the gown away from the body so that attachments break. 3. When removing the gown, roll the gown inside out into a bundle, touching only the outside of the gown with the gloved hands. 4. Peel off the gloves as the gown is being removed, touching only the inside of the gloves and gown with bare hands. And 5. Discard the gown and gloves into a waste container or soiled linen bin and perform hand hygiene. The outside of the isolation gown may be contaminated, so personnel should roll the gown into a bundle with the most contaminated part on the inside to reduce environmental contamination when discarding the gown. Personnel should remove gloves simultaneously with the gown to prevent hand contamination during the gown removal process. Perioperative personnel must wear eye protection when splashes, spray, splatter, or droplets of blood or other potentially infectious materials may be generated, and eye contamination can be reasonably anticipated. In this scenario, the surgeon uses a pulse lavage on the infected wound, and the surgical team members elected to use eye protection that covers the entire face. Masks are required in the OR and may provide protection for both personnel and the patient. Personnel should remove and replace their masks when these become wet or contaminated. The mask should be removed last when worn in combination with other PPE, that is, gown, gloves, or eye protection. Perioperative team members must wear fluid-resistant shoe covers or boots when gross contamination can reasonably be anticipated. Hand hygiene should be performed after PPE is removed. Isolation gowns may not provide the protection of a reinforced surgical gown, which is rated higher for barrier effectiveness. In this scenario, the team members made an appropriate decision to wear a gown with a higher barrier rating and additional protection when they anticipated gross contamination during irrigation. Contact precautions. Healthcare personnel should use contact precautions in addition to standard precautions when providing care to patients who are known or suspected to be infected or colonized with pathogens that are transmitted by direct or indirect contact. Contact precautions include using PPE, for example, gloves, gowns, posting signs to notify personnel entering the OR that the patient is infected, taking precautions during patient transport, for example, covering a draining wound, not touching door handles and elevator buttons with contaminated hands or gloves. Considering patient placement to minimize contact with other patients and performing enhanced environmental cleaning. In the scenario, 
Nurse B consulted the infection preventionist, who requested that the patient remain on contact precautions according to hospital policy. Personnel should don a gown and gloves upon room entry and doff and discard them when exiting the room. Dedicated monitoring equipment or single-use devices may prevent infectious agent transmission from a contaminated blood pressure cuff or pulse oximeter sensor to personnel or other patients. In the scenario, personnel selected single-use devices that remained with a patient throughout the continuum of care. When transporting a patient who is infected, healthcare personnel should take precautions to reduce the opportunity for pathogen transmission to other patients, personnel, and visitors, and to reduce contamination of the environment. Before transporting a patient who is on contact precautions, perioperative personnel should 1. Notify the receiving team members that the patient is ready for transport and identify precautions that should be taken. 2. Perform hand hygiene. 3. Don a gown and gloves. 4. Contain and cover the infected or colonized areas of the patient's body. And 5. Remove and dispose of contaminated PPE and perform hand hygiene. The healthcare organization leaders should develop a policy for use of PPE during transport. In this scenario, the hospital policy included wearing gloves during transport and having a gown and gloves available for required patient contact during transport through public corridors. Patients on contact precautions should be placed in a private patient room. When this is not possible, the patient should be placed at least three feet away from other patients. After recovery, the patient should be transported to a private patient room. Healthcare personnel should perform enhanced environmental cleaning after care of patients who are known to be infected or colonized with an MDRO. This includes cleaning and disinfecting all non-critical equipment, for example, IV pumps, ventilators, computers, personal electronic devices, between patient care uses, and handling the equipment in a manner that prevents personnel exposure or environmental contact with potentially infectious materials. In this scenario, both the EVS personnel and anesthesia technicians donned gowns and gloves and wore eye protection while cleaning the OR. Nurse B instructed the patient's visitors to wear gowns and gloves in the patient's room and to perform hand hygiene before donning and after doffing PPE when entering and exiting the room. Conclusion the OR is a complicated venue in which to isolate and prevent infections that could result from transmissible organisms. Traffic patterns can be complicated, and patients are transferred from other departments, other facilities, and from home. In one day, an OR may host multiple procedures, and some of those patients may be infected with MDROs. If staff members do not use appropriate PPE and cleaning practices, there may be increased opportunities for transmission of infectious organisms from one patient to another. Interrupting the mode of transmission can be challenging. It is important for perioperative nurses to use approved protocols and processes to identify patients requiring transmission-based precautions and to intervene when necessary to prevent the spread of infection.